You guys have picked a great day to be in God's house. I'm excited. We're going to be on part two of our Christmas sermon series that we started last week. I told you guys this is not going to be a traditional Christmas sermon series for us. Probably one of the most different types of Christmas messages that we've had in, in years past. And it's not traditional in the sense that we're not going to just be hanging out in, in Luke chapter 2 and talking about Jesus as a baby. We've talked a little bit about that if you were here last week. But really, we're, we're talking about who Jesus is and what he's done. Somebody say done. Done for, our, done for us. And do you know he's not done working? And we've been talking about what he's going to do. And so the title of our message is the Lamb of God. Y'all say that with me. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Did you know the Lamb came for the lost? Oh, that was good. Come on, somebody. The Lamb came for the lost. If you got a neighbor, just tell them to say, he came for me. He came for me. Right? He came for me. We don't say that in a prideful, arrogant way. If we know Jesus to be the Lamb of God and the Savior of the world, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lord, we understand that he came for me. What the Bible says, while I was still yet a sinner, Christ died for me. The Lamb of God was offered up as the eternal sacrifice for any and all people, all nations, tribes, tongue. The Lamb of God covers the sins of the world. And so as we kicked this off last week, we said we want to dive deeper and explore this fact that Jesus is the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we, we're, we're talking about, in a Christmas sense, of his first coming. He came in an innocent, dark, still quietness of the night as an innocent baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, born in a manger. We read Luke chapter 2 last week, and we saw and recognized that the very world, the Savior of the world came to save, didn't even have room for him. There was no nice place for the Savior of the world to be born, so he was born in a barn. And he still said, yes, come on, somebody. The very world he came to save couldn't make room for him, so he was born in a manger. Let me ask you and pose you with a question. Have you made room for Jesus Christ this Christmas season in your life? Can I tell you to do something this Christmas? Don't do Christmas the way the world does. Don't max your credit cards out for the sake of getting everybody a present so you can pile on the stress and anxiety just because you're trying to keep up with the neighbors or the Joneses. If you can make room for Jesus Christ this year and do Christmas his way, you can have real joy and real peace. Does that sound good? So we talked about his first coming. And the reason I said that this is not going to be a traditional Christmas message is because as we see the world around us, and if you live in the world, you can see and recognize that every day that goes by, the moment of his second, say that word with me, second Coming is coming. It is getting closer by the day. There are signs of his coming. We are getting closer and closer. So me and Pastor Keith were talking and praying, and we really want to equip you guys with truth from his word to see the signs, to recognize the signs, and to get right with God while you can't still can. Come on, somebody. I'm going to try to do a lot of the legwork for you. But what you do with what I give you is on you. I said last week, I feel like as the American church, we understand the Christmas story pretty good. We know it like the back of our hands, right? We know the facts. We know he was born in a manger and swaddling clothes and the three magi came and they gave him presents. And everybody knows the Christmas story, but how well do you know the story of his second coming? Somebody say, hmm. That means Pastor Ian, I got to read Revelations. Yes. Who did their homework last week if you were here? One hand. God bless you. I had a feeling not all of you was going to go actually read Revelations. And we're going to be in Revelations again this week. 
And like I said, I'm going to do the legwork for you. But guess what? As a believer, as a Christian, as a child of God, you got to be hungry for yourself. You got to get in that word. Don't take everything I say as 100% true. I let the Holy Spirit teach it and present it to you, but it's on you to study thyself approved and to get those little nuggets of truth that Jesus wants to give you. Amen? So, if you got your Bibles, turn there to Luke. Excuse me, not Luke. I've been talking about Luke all morning so far already. Turn to John, excuse me. Chapter 1, I want to give you one quick verse. We give you this verse last week. So it says, the next day, John, John is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. It says, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, the what? Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ was declared by John the Baptist, the one who was prophesied in Isaiah as the one who comes to prepare the way, a highway in a desert place. That was John the Baptist. People at that time thought John the Baptist was Jesus Christ. They thought John the Baptist was the Messiah, was the Savior. And so he had a voice of authority given and granted by God. And what does John the Baptist say? He blesses and grants all authority to Jesus Christ and says, Behold the what? Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He declares that this is the, this is the man. This is the son. This is the one who's going to usher in a brand new covenant. This is the one that you can believe in. This is the one that you can trust because he's all powerful. He's all truth. And you can trust him with your life because the heavenly father says so. He's the lamb of God. His eternal sacrifice that the Lamb of God presented on the cross is something that can never be taken away. It forever stands as God's new covenant, living will and testament of Jesus Christ saying on the cross forever that I love you. That's what he says on the cross. Without even opening his mouth, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. Is Jesus being compared to the Lamb of God? And you'll know that on his way to his cross, he never opened his mouth. And I believe he never opened his mouth because he knew how powerful of a statement he was going to say with his actions. Because the most powerful thing he was going to say wasn't something with his words. He had been preaching and teaching with his words for three and a half years. Some people believed, some people didn't. But he knew, you know what, I'm done talking. When I get to this cross, it's going to talk forever. Come on, somebody, of who I am and what God has done for his children. And on the cross, it forever says, I love you. It forever says, I forgive you. It forever says that I'm enough. It forever says, I'm the Lamb of God. It forever says, I'm the Prince of Peace. I'm the King of Kings. I'm the Lord of Lords. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. What are you doing with that promise today? Somebody say today. Put that in the chat today if you're with us. Today. If you're here today and Jesus Christ is not your personal Lord and Savior, there is no judgment in this place. But if he is your Savior, praise God, keep living for him. But if you're here today and he's not, I believe there's somebody who's going to get born again in his house today. Because he's going to preach and teach in such a real way that you're going to see, you know what? He is real. He is true. And your moment can change. Your life can change in a moment today. It starts with a prayer, but it begins with what you do with your life after you say that prayer. Amen? He is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He takes away. You know, God doesn't just take away the sake of taking away. He always takes away. He removes the bad, the evil, the sin, the issue and he replaces it with something good, pleasing, powerful, and authentic in his sight. So Jesus come to take away the sins of the world, and then what did he give us? Hope, joy, peace, and goodwill to all men, right, in Luke chapter 2. He removes, Jesus as the Lamb of God, he removes and he comes to replace with good and wonderful things. Look at that first point for today. 
got your paper outline and give you the fill in the blanks. Excuse me, if you're joining us online, you can check our church app out and follow along with us that way. But let's unpackage this thought together as we're talking about Jesus as the Lamb of God. It says, Jesus as the Lamb of God offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and he never opened his mouth. He bore the wrath of God for our sins and brought into the world a new covenant with the Father. The second part of that statement says, He bore the wrath of God for our sins and brought us into a new covenant. Before that, it says, He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and He never opened His mouth. And Isaiah chapter 53, which we're going to read here in a moment, it's a prophetic scripture, it's a prophetic verse, well, we're going to give you verses, it's a prophetic utterance written, written out, and prayed by Isaiah, a major prophet, almost 600 years before Jesus actually came. And so as we read the scripture in Isaiah 53, you will see the account of Jesus going to the cross in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, to a T, Jesus fulfilled scripture that was written almost 600 years prior to his coming. All to prove without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is authentic. That Jesus is the Son of God. And as we're going to see, on the way to the cross, Jesus, as I've already said, he did not open his mouth. He was led like a slaughter, the scripture says. A lamb to the slaughter who did not open his mouth. God placing the sins of the world upon him. I'm paraphrasing. Everyone who saw and witnessed thought his punishment was for his own sins. And they scoffed and they judged. Only his disciples and his true followers understood who he was and what he was doing. Understanding that this, his punishment was for the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God because, guys, that death should have been our death. That death on a cross, that punishment of our sins, being crucified, whipped with 39 cattails, crown of thorns, stripped naked, scourged half to death, carry a, a six, seven foot wooden cross, miles up to a hill called Golgotha, to then be crucified, pierced through your hands and feet for your, for your offenses towards God. For those days that you cussed out God. For those days that you got drunk. For those days that you got high. For those days that you had sex out of marriage. For all the days that you didn't live for Jesus. The Bible says that every person falls short of the glory of God. The whole time Jesus was being led to the cross, he still chose you and died, took your place so that you could not be judged according to your shortcomings if by faith you believe he took your place. Is there anybody here who knows that Jesus has taken your place? There better be a hallelujah up in here because you understand that God still loves you. God still forgives you. And if you are here and you have not, by faith, bought into this relationship with God, you are still accountable to your sins. And on Judgment Day, as you stand before God the Creator and Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God, His Son, what is He going to say to you? Is He going to say, enter in, my good and faithful servant. I know you. <laughs> I know you intimately. I know you. He's going to look right through your soul. And he knows you, the things that you have done evil. But he knows by faith what you've done good for him. And his love doesn't change. He knows you. And he says, enter in. I'm the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Or is he going to say, depart from me 
I never need. The scariest seven or eight words known to man. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth and there's going to be regrets. And there's going to be sorrow. And it's not going to be because God's not just. It's going to be because those people, those folks, those souls have refused to let God know them. God knows them. He created them, it says. He formed them and fashioned them in his mother's womb. But allowing God to know us is on us. I have to give him daily permission to come and live and dwell inside here. And it's the either I love my life more, I love doing the things that I love doing that I know I shouldn't be doing more than allowing him to come and live and lead my life. Because I know if I come and let him live, live and lead my life, something's got to change. Because I can't keep doing this and feeling good about it. Because the Holy Spirit has a knack of ministering to us. He's the spirit of truth. Jesus is the Lamb of God because he takes away the sins of the world. He forgives us and brings in this new covenant established by his blood that was shed and by his body that was broken and crucified for us. You better hear me. He is worthy and he is holy to do that for every single person. He's holy and he is worthy. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 53. I paraphrased this scripture a little bit already this morning. We're going to, like I said, we're going to give you a lot of scriptures today. I just want to pray over us for a second. Holy Spirit, I pray you would minister your word to us, that you teach it to us, that your word, your word is alive and sharper than any double-edged sword. It's active. God, I pray that it would be active in our lives. I pray we would see your word in a literal and spiritual sense today as we read it. In Jesus' name I pray. All right, we're going to read verses 3 through 12. As I said, a little nugget, Isaiah wrote this 600 years before Jesus came. Okay? Look what it says. This is prophetic. He, he, he's speaking of the Messiah when he's to come. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, antiquated with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed. Somebody say crushed. For our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be made healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Y'all see that word lamb there? We're talking about the lamb of God. It says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led astray. No one carried, no one cared, excuse me, that he did he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put to death in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. When I tell you that the lamb came for the lost, he came not just to make good, not just to make evil men good. He came to bring dead men to life. He came to set the captives free. 
Don't ever tell yourself or let somebody else tell you that Jesus Christ does not love you. Because he does. He loved you so much that he went through all that for you and your neighbor and your husband and your wife and your kids and your grandkids and even Billy Bob, that guy you don't like at work that you got to deal with every day. He did it for him. He did it for President Biden. He did it for every single person. And at the end of the day, we either accept that offering or we reject it. When we accept it, Jesus Christ, he does. He brings us from dead to life. He brings us from going, being blind to be able, being able to now see. We're awakened to spiritual things. When I reject what he's done for me, it builds up walls. It builds up pride. It builds up arrogance. I'll live my life according to my will and my ways. But when I accept his offering, I live according to his will, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, self-control. Sound like good things? Some things that you may want in your life? He gives them to us when we receive his offering for what he's done for us. That's the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Forgiven by faith. And if I'm really forgiven, then I live in a totally different way. I live a radical lifestyle because I've been forgiven radically. Look at that next point. So as we're talking about Jesus' first coming and his second coming... As I was just alluding to, accepting Christ and his offering is on us. We can either accept it or we reject it, right? Jesus' first coming was to preach repentance. Get right, get right, get right. God's timing, his new covenant is now, is now. And we're still living in that era. But when Jesus begins to, as we read in Revelations 5 last week, he's the Lamb of God. He's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah who is worthy to open the scrolls, the seven seals on the scrolls. When he begins to open the seven seals on the scrolls, the time of mercy and grace for the Gentiles, the church, is over and it begins to usher in the great tribulation and, 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 and agony and, and growing pains within the earth of signs of his coming. Death, destruction, wars, famines. His first coming was, was, was to warn you. We're living in his day of mercy and grace to warn you, to warn you, to warn you. As he begins to open those seals and God's judgment begins to be poured out in the earth, his second coming is all about gathering those who actually listened. Did you hear what I said? Jesus as the Lamb of God, when he begins to act God's plan of justice, pouring out his wrath in the earth, your moment of getting right is over. So are you right today? Have you prepared or have you procrastinated? On that day of judgment, I feel like there's going to be a lot of procrastinated folks. Thought they had tomorrow. Thought they had a year. Thought they had whatever. If you have planned and prepared, you got nothing to be scared of. In Proverbs, it says, fear is the foundation of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Now, we don't. We're not afraid of God, but we have a healthy dose of fear of his power and authority, right? That's how we need to live. So his second coming is going to be a lot less innocent. He came innocent the first time. The second time he's going to come with a scepter and with justice and with wrath. So look at that second point. 
finally read it with you together. Look what it says. It says, Jesus as the Lamb of God will now pour out God's wrath on the wicked and those who what? Reject him. And those who enter into a covenant with who? The Antichrist. Can I talk about that for a second? There's no middle ground on this earth. There's good and evil. And people can debate what's good and evil. Some people think abortion is good. Y'all know it's evil. There's no middle ground. You either serve the Christ or you serve the Antichrist. What's the Antichrist, Pastor Ian? Yes, he's an actual person we're going to read about in Revelation. We're going to talk about he's going to come disguised as a person of peace. He's actually going to establish a seven-year peace treaty according to Daniel 9. Give you some more homework this week. Go read Daniel 9 this week. Who knows Israel's in a war right now? Been going on about two and a half months. Sounds like somebody's probably going to have to ride in and, and tell them they need to start talking about what? Peace. They're already screaming to the, to the rooftops. Y'all need to quit fighting. Y'all settle this. Somebody's going to do that. And guess who that somebody's going to be? The Antichrist. He's a real person. Let me double back. I digress. You either live for Jesus, the, 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 you live for Christ, or you live for the spirit of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a spirit all used to design to keep you from not living for Jesus. If it can keep you stuck and stagnant and static, living on the couch, watching TV all day, he'll do it. You can say, I'm a good person. I don't even cuss. I'm nice to people. I fill in the blank. On Judgment Day, you're not going to be judged according to what you deem good and evil, your standards. You're going to be judged according to His And you are either following Jesus or you are following the Antichrist spirit. Some of y'all need to quit listening to that music. You know, what we allow into our lives is spiritual. Some of y'all need to quit listening to that junk. Some of y'all need to quit watching some of that stuff. They say pornography is the, the biggest battle with men inside churches today. Men following Jesus, addicted to pornography every day, multiple times a day. Is that real freedom? Are they following Jesus? Are they following the spirit of the Antichrist? Guess who's in that room with you, gentlemen? It's got really real in here today. The spirit of God's in there. How would you feel if somebody walked in on you while you was engaged in that type of activity? Be pretty embarrassing? Be a pretty bad day? You don't need me to tell you what you're doing is wrong and evil. And it's killing, stealing, and destroying who you really are as a person. They say pornography is more addicting to men than crack. And if the spirit of the Antichrist, anti-divination can keep you stuck there, then you can lead yourself right to hell. Real repentance has to happen in our churches today. A real sorrowful repentance for the things that God calls sin, that we engage in willfully, right? That point says, as the Lamb of God, when he comes a second time, he's going to pour out God's wrath on the wicked and those who have rejected them. Who believes God's just? Get quiet in here. If he's just... If you've prepared and you haven't procrastinated and you're, you're excited for his second coming, they should be excited that God's justice is going to reign in the earth according to God's standard. Those that have done evil, those that have killed, those that have murdered, those that, that, that create this stuff, the evil things, 
will be judged according to what they have done. And justice will reign and rule. And Jesus, he's going to have the authority and power to enact God's plan in the earth. All right, turn to Revelation chapter 6. I gave you all homework last week. We read the entire chapter of chapter 5. I told you guys to go read 6, 7, 8, and 9, I believe. As we talked about God's wrath, you see in Revelations, as Jesus opens the scroll, there are seven seals. Each time he opens a seal, we're going to read this today. If you didn't do your homework last week, go home and read it this week because for the sake of time, like I said, I'm going to try to do a lot of this legwork for you, but you got to do something with it. We see that there's seven seals, there's seven trumpets of judgment, and then there's seven bowls of judgment. All are God's wrath. As Jesus opens the first seal, which we're going to see here, it begins an event, a timeline of events that we are as a world hurling towards at breakneck speed. And they will line up and they will each happen as Jesus opens these scrolls. And that means the sign, the sign of the times, the sign of the signs is upon us. So let's read. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown and was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Let me stop there for a second. That first rider, the white rider who comes with a crown and, and rides with victory, that is not Jesus. That is actually the Antichrist. He is coming disguised as a person of peace. And he takes that trust that he establishes in the earth and he twists it for power and for gain and for murder and wars and power. Amen? Verse 3. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard a living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, A loaf of wheat or bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who have been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to the world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, would join them. I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became dark, as black as cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs, falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they all cried to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne from the wrath of who? The Lamb. I want you to highlight that and underline that little phrase, the wrath of the Lamb. He is worthy and he is holy. Doing what you can daily do to stay in God's good grace and his good favor. Now, I know there's a lot to unpackage in those 17 verses. As we see, there's the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? The white horse and rider is the Antichrist, I've already shared. You have the red horse and rider. He is the, the horse personified as the horse of, of wars and death. The black horse is the, the, the rider of famine. Y'all went and bought groceries lately? 
What's a hundred bucks get you? That ain't going to get better. We are hurling toward the mark of the beast. They're already trying to, to get us all in this global market of digital currency. Some of you may be already dabbling in digital currency. You will not be able to buy, trade, or sell unless you bear the mark of the beast. Famine is coming. And I'm not speaking death. I'm speaking what God's word tells us. He's warning us. Not something to be afraid of or be fearful, but to respect. It is your responsibility to do with whatever you want to do with what I'm telling you. Be prepared. Do your darndest not to live paycheck to paycheck. Hope you have some savings. Hope you have a budget. Hope you're honoring God with the tithe. The fourth horse, the the pale green rider, he symbolizes death and disease and sickness. Y'all, we're only three and a half years removed from a global pandemic where everybody lost their minds. That's just the beginning of what will happen when real disease and real sickness begin to break out. As we read at the end of that, the people who are left will literally be praying and asking for the rocks to kill them because it's going to be so bad. The wrath of God is coming and it cannot be stopped. Pastor Ian, if it's coming, what do I need to do? Love Jesus, follow Jesus, love your family, and lead your family to Jesus. That's what you need to do. And tell anybody else who will listen to you, this talk that we're having right here today is, is, is crazy trained to a lot of people out there. Oh, you guys are just nuts and you're just crazy. We'll see when Jesus comes. Look at that last point for today. So last week, if you were here, we said that all the end times events are not something we need to be scared of, but it should activate us to a place of faith. And all the end times events all have redeeming qualities and purposes. All the things that we just read are to happen to separate the wheat from the chaff, to separate the good from the evil, to separate the believers from the non-believers. To separate the hypocrites from those who are really living for Jesus. All the end times events bring hope, right? They bring the truth of who God is and they, and they bring God's wrath. But they also spare those that are living for Jesus, So we talked about the Great Tribulation last week. We talked a little bit about the rapture of God's church. And so that's where we're going to leave you guys today as we close on this last point, talk about the rapture of the church. And we'll pick up the rapture because there's a lot into this topic. And I want to do my best to not make you guys more confused, but that you guys can have understanding and clarity of what God's word says and for you to pray about it and for you to think about the, about the rapture and, and what God says. But So look what it says. So we just talked about God's wrath coming on those who have rejected and denied Christ and have followed the Antichrist. Look what God's wrath will also do for, for us, though, who believe in Jesus. It says, the Lamb of God will also deliver born-again believers from the wrath of God. This is called the rapture of the church. The lamb who was slain will raise the dead and transform those who are still alive. So I believe God will rapture his church in the middle of the great tribulation. Now it's debatable. Some people think God will rapture his church before pre-trib, pre-tribulation. Some believe post-tribulation. The tribulation, the entire thing is the seven seals that we just read. 
after the tribulation, then you read about seven trumpets. If you go home and do your homework, you can learn all about the seven judgments, the seven trumpets. And I believe that at the end of or in the middle of the great tribulation, God will then rapture his church because I believe God is going to spare those who have lived for him for all the evil things that are going to happen here. Also, if you read your word, we're going to give you a couple scriptures. Jesus references a couple times. He says in Matthew chapter 24, as we read last week, that not even no one, not no person, not the son, only the father knows the hour. And he said, but there'll be a great trumpet sound. And in that moment, his church will be called up. I just said after Jesus opens the seven seals, he then opens what? Seven trumpets. So somewhere in the seven trumpets, the trumpets of judgment on the earth, I believe that is when the church will be raptured. Now you need to seek God's word and pray. That's just what I feel the Holy Spirit teaching and leading me, and I, I bring that before you for you to do with what you wish. Pray about it. Seek God's word for yourself. But I know this. Because God's wrath is coming, Jesus is coming for his church. Right? Because God's wrath is coming, Jesus is coming. And he's coming for his bride. Okay? Look at 1 Thessalonians. We'll give you a couple of scriptures. 4, 14 through 17. It says, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus, what? Returns, his second coming, God will bring back with him the believers who all have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the what? Trumpet call of God. First the Christians who have died will rise from their graves, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be what? Caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. In a single moment, he's going to raise those who have already died, the believers he's accepted. And in a moment, those who are still living on earth, who are living by faith for Jesus, in a moment, the sound of a trumpet will be caught up in the air with the Lord. Don't be amazing. I said last week, as I read that scripture, as an early Christian, I used to think, how is that going to happen? And the rest of the earth and the rest of the people are just going to kind of go about their business and ain't nobody going to bat an eye and Within the last four or five years, things have gotten really nutty. And I, I really believe, I, I don't think people are going to think a, a second thought about thousands of, of raptured Christians. I said last week, how easy would it be for the world to just say, uh, aliens probably abducted them. We laugh and chuckle. You know, people rather believe in aliens before they believe in Jesus. And they will go about their day. But we'll be caught up in there. Can I tell that this is a message for somebody? If you continue to ignore God's daily call, and he's daily calling you into his favor and grace, he's daily sending you push notifications by via the Holy Spirit. Do this. Don't say that. Go here. Start reading your word. Pray more. Treat your spouse right. Treat your kids right. He's daily notifying you. He's daily calling you. And if you daily continue to ignore his voice, why do you think that he is going to call you and you're going to get caught up in the air? Then you're going to answer the call? I'm going to let that sit and marinate for a second. Don't expect to be caught up in the air at his last call, when you've been ignoring his daily call for days, weeks, months, years. Don't lie to yourself. Don't let the enemy continue to allow you to lie to yourself. 
If you want to get caught up, answer the call. Amen? We've got last scripture for today. I told you all we're going to get a lot of scriptures today. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. It says this. Now this I say, we're talking about the rapture still. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last, what? Trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on the incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has been put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. What? Immovable. What? Always abounding in what? The work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not done in vain in the Lord. The church must be raptured because flesh and blood is corrupted. As we just read, flesh and blood has been corrupted. We need to put on incorruption. We need to put on new spiritual bodies. We need to put on immortality because we're mortal. That's why God has to rapture his church because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Only spiritual things can inherit the kingdom of God. And the Lamb of God swallows up death in victory. Your Savior, your Messiah, he swallows up death in his victory. And those, as we just read, who are steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, those who are preparing, those who are getting ready. Do you know if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready? That's good old country boy redneck. If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. I shared this last week, but I want to share it one more time because I think it paints a great picture for us. If you were here last week, you get a double dose of this story, I guess. Who remembers being in school and having to take tests? Some of y'all may be still in school. God bless you. Who showed up to school and you had that big test? Man, the teacher even told you about it a whole week in advance. You got this test coming up. It's for your finals. You pass this test, you pass, you fail this test, you fail. Some procrastinate on their studying. Some prepare. We've all showed up to take a test, and we did the work. We got ready to stay ready and pour it out on paper, all the knowledge that we had. Right? And you might have even had fun taking that test. As you were taking the test, you were answering, I know that answer. I'm going to get a little extra. I know you knew with hope and expectation you were getting an A. Flip side of that, all of us have probably taken a test the other way where we showed up, tried to wing it. I'm going to wing the test. You even prayed, <laughs> wing this test. As you begin to take the test, it was daunting to you that I don't know any of these answers and I'm going to fail. Can I spiritualize this for us? If you daily study and daily live for him, daily prepare your heart, daily stay ready, because you know he's coming back, then there's nothing to be afraid of. But, somebody say but, if you keep on procrastinating, I'll get right next year, tomorrow. On that day of judgment, you're going to feel it on the inside like a pit of your stomach. I failed this test. And guess what? There's no redos. There's no retakes. 
Your life is a test. Study thyself approved to his good grace and his good will. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's pray together as we close. Again, I'm sorry I went a little long. There's a lot to this message, a lot to this Christmas message for us. As I close, I just want to invite all you who are. Now, I'm not saying any one of us are perfect, okay? None of us can live a perfect life, but we know the one that is perfect. So if you're in this daily relationship, this daily grind with the only perfect person ever was Jesus Christ, I want to say thank you and I want to inspire you to keep running, to keep having hope, and to keep choosing Jesus on a daily basis. I want you, if you're born again Christian, to actually pray for the lost right now. Pray for the lost. Say, God, bring the lost. Bring the lost to me. I'll minister. Bring the lost to our, this church. They'll minister. God, graver grace and favor over the lost. Thank you for praying if you're born again. If, if, but if you're here today, you're in our sanctuary right now, or you're watching us online, you're joining us anyway you're, that you are, and you're hearing my voice right now, either in the present or you could be watching this in the past tense. I don't know where you're at online. If you can hear my voice and you feel the Holy Spirit saying, you're failing this test. You got some things we got to deal with. If you feel that in the pit of your stomach, you feel him dealing with your heart. Man, that is good news. I want to change your life today. All you have to do is repent and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and to come into your life and he can transform your life. Everybody else that's born again is actually praying right now for you to have the faith to do something with what Jesus is saying in your heart. So if you can hear me right now and you can hear him, if you want to pray right now to get right with God, to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to do something. The Bible says faith without works is dead. You got to do something with the message that you're hearing from him. If you want to pray to get right with Jesus, I want you right now just to lift your hand up really high. Either lift your hand up really high or I want you to stand up. Praise God, there are hands going up all over the building. Keep them up, keep them up. Don't keep them up for me. No one's looking at you. This is between you and God. Amen? Between you and God, as you got those hands raised, I want you to know that you, by faith, are forgiven. I want you to know that God loves you, that God sees you. He knows your tests. He knows your trials. And he knows that if you can trust him, you can get through it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but if you can trust him and his word and his ways, you will have a blessed life. Amen? I want to, I want to lead us on a prayer. You may lower those hands. I want to lead us on a prayer. I want you to repeat loud after me. It's going to go like this. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We believe in you. We confess that Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my past. And send your Holy Spirit to redeem my future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Somebody give Jesus a hand clap. Amen. Praise God. If you raised your hand today, I want you to know that we love you. Proud of you. I want you to, to invite you to, to tell somebody the decision that you made today. If there's any way that we can help you, also come see me or one of our ushers. We'd love to help you in your next steps in becoming a believer in Christ. Amen. We want to equip you with, with, with truth and power to walk this out. Amen. Who's glad you came to church? Man, we're glad you came too, okay? We love you. Sorry I went a little long. And uh, you guys are officially dismissed.